Well, good morning, church. We're glad you joined us this morning. Last week, we began a brand new series as we walked through the book of 1 Peter, a series entitled Exiles, an unrelenting hope in uncertain times. One thing we all know for sure is that we are living definitely in uncertain times. And when uncertainty comes, people began to search. People began to look for answers. And oftentimes where people began to look are all the wrong places, right? They look to the world and to the wisdom of the world. But I think what is truly sad is that even believers begin to look to the world instead of to the Lord. So the whole purpose and the whole premise of this series as we go through 1 Peter is for you and I as followers of Jesus to turn our gaze back to him, to put our focus back on him. Instead of looking to the world, we would again begin to look at him. And I think obviously that is Peter's intention. When Peter penned this letter, I believe with everything in him, that's what he wanted for the believers who were struggling, for those believers that were wrestling with what was going on, those believers that were being persecuted, who were putting their attention and their focus and their efforts into the situation around them. I believe he wanted them to turn their eyes and their gaze and their focus back to the Lord. I believe that's why at the very beginning of this book, as we read the, just the greeting last week, that Peter wanted to remind them about their identity. What better way to get us to look back to the Lord than to remind us who we are in Christ and who we are called to be in this world. So Peter says, listen, here's who you are in Christ. You are the elect children of God. Those of you that have been drawn by the Holy Spirit, who've responded by faith, you belong to him. And not only do you belong to him, you belong to a kingdom that is out of this world. You belong to his kingdom. And so it was important for Peter to remind them about their identity in Christ, but also to remind them the identity we've been called to have in this world. We are called to be exiles. We are called to be aliens and strangers and sojourners. Why? Because we are just temporary residents of this world. We are temporary residents who have a purpose. That purpose is to share the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are just passing through. This world is not our home. Our home awaits us. And so Peter, right out of the gate in this book, spends time reminding them about their identity in Christ and reminding them who God has called them to be in this world and hopes that as we think about who we are, our identity in him and in this world, it might cause us and lead us and motivate us to search and look to him for answers, not the world. Now, after Peter begins to remind them of their identity in Christ and their identity in the world, Peter begins to shift gears a little bit, and he begins to talk about the hope that we have in Christ. And so as we go through the passage today, we're going to see Peter begin to unpack the hope we have, the faith we have in Christ, but he's also going to unpack for us what does it mean to live in that hope. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and instead of reading verses 3 through 12, I kind of want us to just take it different chunks at a time. Because as we go through these chunks, Peter's going to unpack some things for us that I think is extremely important for us where we find ourselves today and how we are called to live our lives right now in the middle of times that are extremely uncertain. So 1 Peter chapter 1 
verse three, at the very beginning, Peter talks about our hope, the hope we have in Christ. And listen to what he says in verse three. He says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus of Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Now, in these first couple of verses, all Peter does is talk about the hope that we have in Christ. And he says several things. First thing he says is, the hope we have is a living hope. Listen to what he says again. You have been born again to a living hope. Now this word living just means active, growing, not dormant, and not something that fades away. The hope we have is living. It's active. It grows. But then this word hope, what does hope mean? Well, let me give you a definition of hope. Hope is the expectation and the anticipation of what is to come. Let me say it again. Hope is the expectation and the anticipation of what is to come. Well, what is to come? Heaven, right? What is to come? That moment that we see Jesus and we become like Jesus and we get to spend all eternity with Jesus. The what is to come is that moment we get to spend forever with him in heaven. Peter says, you have a living hope. See, as a result of our salvation, as a result of what Christ has done for us and us being drawn to him and us responding in faith to him, as a result of our salvation, we too have a living hope. Meaning that we too have this, should have this active anticipation of what's to come. As believers today, we should have this active anticipation and longing for what's to come. What's to come? That moment. That moment. Whether Jesus returns or we pass from this world, that moment that we see him face to face and get to spend all eternity with him. See, Peter wanted these believers to know that you have, because of salvation in Christ, you have a living hope. You need to live your life as a believer with this, this anticipation and this longing for what's to come. It's as if Peter's reminding them, it's not just about celebrating the salvation that we have in Christ right now for the forgiveness of sins, but also about celebrating the salvation that is to come. Paul says it this way in Philippians 1.6, that he who has begun a good work in us one day will complete it. That when we see him, we will be made perfect. Ultimate salvation happens when we see him in the end. And so Peter's reminding them that they have, because of their salvation, they have a living hope. Now, because this hope is living, our anticipation should grow more beautiful over time, right? If we have a living hope, and because it is a living hope, our anticipation and our longing for that moment should only grow over time. Now, I've been a Christian for almost 38 years. And over the last 38 years, with every birthday, which seems to come quicker and quicker every year, right? But with each birthday, and the older I get, there's something in me that becomes more keenly aware that there's going to come a moment that I'm going to slip from this world 
unless Jesus comes back before then and I'm gonna slip to that moment where I pass in this world and I see him face to face. And listen to me, the older I get, the more I long for that moment. The more I anticipate that moment, the, the more I get excited about that moment, that one day I'm gonna slip from this world and I'm gonna see Jesus face to face and spend all eternity with him. Now, how long is eternity? Just think about it. Forever and ever and ever. That's how long it is. With no end, to infinity and beyond, as Buzz Lightyear would say, right? That's how long forever is. And the older I get, the more I should long for that moment. Now, why in the world would Peter, as he talks about the hope we have in Christ, why would he want them to know that the hope we have is a living hope? Why would he want them to know that they should live as believers with this anticipation of what is to come? Why would he want them to know that? Here's why, because he wanted them to keep their eyes on the prize. See, it is so easy to get wrapped up in the circumstances around us and take our eyes off the prize, right? What is the prize? Heaven is the prize. Spending eternity with Christ is the prize. And it's so easy in the world we live in with all that is coming at us to take our eyes off of Jesus and to put it on the world. And he's like, he's almost like Peter wants to remind them, listen, I know you belong to Christ. You are the elect children of God and you're being persecuted. You're struggling. You're going through difficult times. But listen to me, hear me, keep your eye on the prize. There is a hope that you have of a day that's coming. Don't forget it. Don't lose sight of it and don't take your eyes off of it. Now, I remember when I was learning to drive a long time ago, when I was 16, and my dad tried to teach me to drive, and my dad tried to teach me in his 1965 Ford pickup, and it didn't go well. It was a four-speed, third gear was out, so you'd grind third gear and just drop it into fourth, and it just didn't go well. My dad wasn't a great teacher. He has the same level of patience that I have, which is not much, so my mom tried to teach me to drive. And I remember this, some of you that are older remember this, I remember the cars that had hood ornaments. Do you remember those cars? And my mom had this big yellow car. I mean, it was probably bigger than most roads today. I mean, it was, it was like a tank on wheels. And it had this big hood ornament on it. And she said, Doug, when you're driving, stare at the hood ornament and align your hood ornament with the white line on the edge of the road and just stare right in front of you at the hood ornament and line it up on the line and you will always stay in your lane. Now listen, in theory, that's a really good idea. But practically, it's terrible. Practically, it didn't work. Because as I stood at the hood ornament and put it on the, the white line of the road, here's what my driving looked like. I was just like swerving back and forth. I was too close. I was too far away. I was too close. I was too far away. I don't know where I am. I mean, there could have been a wall 100 yards in front of me, and I never would have seen it because my eyes were on the hood ornament. Now, here's what I found out in driving. Do we look right in front of us as we drive, like right at that hood ornament? No. Where do we look? as far as we possibly can see down the road. That's exactly what Peter is telling these believers. Stop looking at what's happening right in front of you, right in your face. Quit getting consumed with the circumstances around you and put your eyes and your gaze and your focus on what lies ahead. And that's the hope that you have in Christ. So Peter begins to tell them about our hope. And first thing he says is our hope is a living hope. 
And then he says something else about our hope. He says, our hope hinges on past events. Look with me in verse three again. It says this, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope hinges and their hope hinged on a past event. What is that past event? It is the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the dead, everything he claimed, everything he said about himself, everything he said about his heavenly father, everything he promised us is absolutely, positively, 100% true. See, because Jesus rose from the dead, we have hope. See, if Jesus had died on the cross and Jesus had not raised himself from the dead, if he had not come back to life from the dead, at best he would have been a liar. And we would be without hope. Our faith wouldn't be in vain. My preaching would be in vain. Everything about our life would be in vain. We would be hopeless, doomed to an eternity apart from him. But because Jesus came back from the dead, because the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope. He wanted these believers just to be reminded, not only is your hope a living hope, something you should actively long and anticipate that moment, but don't forget this. We only have hope because Jesus rose from the dead. But then he says something about his hope I wanna go back to that is powerful. Look what he says here in verse four and five. He says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in glory for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith or salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, he says, listen, here's something I want you to know about our hope. It is a living hope, yes. It is based on a past event, the resurrection, yes. But our hope has a future reality. He talks here about an inheritance. You know what inheritance is, right? It's something that one day you will able to be able to possess and to claim for yourself. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking once again about heaven that one day we will possess the promise that we have in knowing Christ, that we would have the hope of heaven. That's a promise that he's made that we now will be able, one day we'll be able to take possession of. Here's the point Peter's making, that right now, what you're anticipating, right now what you long for, that moment when you see him and you be with him forever, that moment you anticipate and long for, one day will not be an anticipation. One day it won't be something you long for. One day it will be a reality for you. One day it won't just be something you're longing for and wishing for. One day it will literally come and you will personally experience that moment when you see him and you'll be with him forever. Now, did you pick up on what he said about our inheritance? He said it's imperishable, which just simply means it can't be ruined. Nothing can ruin the inheritance that God has for us. He says it's undefiled, which means it can't be stained and it can't be cheapened in any way. He says it's unfading, which means it doesn't wither away like the things of this world. But the best thing he says about our inheritance is in verse five. Let's go back to verse five. Who by God's power are being guarded. In other words, the inheritance that we have in Christ, because we're saved, because we have this hope of this day that's coming, that we will be with him forever. That inheritance that awaits us, God currently is guarding it for us. Have you ever been on a trip and you made a hotel reservation 
And when you got there, they looked at you and they called you by name and they said, Mr. Mr. Osborne, or, or you know, the, the, you made this reservation, you said, but, but I don't have you in the, in the computer system and, and so I don't have a reservation for you. And I could say, you know what, I made that reservation. I made it months ago. I have a confirmation number. Here, put my confirmation number in. Well, I've done that, sir, and I still don't have a room for you. In fact, knowing to have a room for you, we have absolutely no vacancies. Go somewhere else. I mean, how frustrating is that, right? Because you thought what was secure and you'd show up would happen for you, but then you show up and you find out what you thought was secure is not secure. It was a pipe dream. Something you hoped for fell short. And Peter's reminding them, I know you're going through persecution, but just know this, the hope you have in Christ, the inheritance that you're waiting for is something that God himself with all the power of heaven is protecting just for you that we can take it to the bank that our inheritance is waiting for us. Now think about this. This would have been great words of encouragement to these early readers. It would have been great words of encouragement to remind them that the hope we have is based on the resurrection of Jesus. This hope we have is to be this active anticipation and longing for what's to come. But there's a day that we no longer have to anticipate, a day where we no longer have to long for it, a day that's coming that we truly will experience it ourselves. It'll be a reality. It will be a reality that we will have when we are with him forever. What words of encouragement that would be to them? And I believe these will be words of encouragement to us as well. I believe that, that these words about our hope should encourage us not to allow the circumstances around us to rob us of the joy that we have of what's to come, right? That, we, that, that, we, that this would encourage us not to allow the things that are happening around us, the things that are trying to pull down around us, that, that we wouldn't allow those things to rob us of the joy of what we know is waiting on us. But rather than focusing on what's around us, Listen, that we would focus our attention on eternal things. That we would put our attention on the hope that we do have. See, that's why in Colossians, Paul says, seek things above. That's why Jesus says, store for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Why? Because there's a theme through the, the gospels and there's a theme through the epistles that we need to be minded and we need to be focused on eternal things, not earthly struggles. And so Peter is reminding these early believers and he's challenging them that while you're going through struggle, listen to me, hear me, keep your eyes on the prize. One day he's coming. One day you will see him. You'll be like him and you'll be with him forever. Don't lose sight of that. Isn't that good news? Isn't that encouraging to us that that's what awaits us as well? So Peter talks about our hope, and then he moves and he begins to talk about our faith. Look at me in verse 6 and 7. He says this, In this you rejoice, talking about the inheritance, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, says, let me tell you something about your faith. While you're in this world, listen, while you're in this world, your faith is gonna be put to the test. Now hear, hear me, he's telling them, listen, keep your eyes on 
Jesus. Keep your eyes on the hope that we have. Don't take your eyes off of that. But while you're here on this world, your faith is going to be tested. While you're here in this earth, your faith is going to be tested. We are going to go through seasons of persecution, seasons of tribulations, seasons of difficult circumstances. And Peter even actually gives us insight into those trials. He says a few things about our trials. First of all, he says that they come as needed. Did you notice there that phrase, for a little while, if necessary? Underline that in your Bible. If necessary. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that even God himself allows trials to come into our lives. That God himself allows different times of persecution and tribulation and difficult circumstances to come into our lives. He allows trials. Now, I'm not saying God tempts us because God, God does not tempt us to sin because that would be counterintuitive for him. That would go against his nature. But God does test us. And God does allow trials to come into our lives. Now, why does God allow trials to come into our lives? Well, one of the reasons he does is so that we can, he can refine us that he can let these trials come into our lives that will expose things in our lives that would refine us and to make us more like Christ. We said that last week, right? We said that the reason that in their dispersion that Peter wanted them to know that you're dispersed by God's knowledge. He knew it. You're dispersed for your sanctification, meaning even in your isolation, God wants to use that situation to make you more like Christ. And so why does God let trials come into our life? One reason it's to refine us, to make us more like Christ. Another reason is spiritual growth. Here's something I want you to think about. Something that I need you to chew on for me. Is it possible that where God wants us spiritually, he can only get us there by allowing us to go through some trials? Think about that. Is it possible that where God wants us spiritually, the only way to get us there is by allowing us to go through some trials. See, Peter reminds these early believers that trials come as needed, if necessary. He also tells them that these trials are varied. He said, you will face various trials. That means that trials don't all look the same, right? Trials don't all come the same way. My trials may not look like your trials. Now, why would that be important for them? Because if my trials look like your trials and every trials look the same, could we not anticipate them coming? Could we not see them maybe coming down the pike? Could we not maybe make some preparation for that? Sure. But trials are varied. They don't look the same. They don't all come in the same format. And so when they come, we have to make sure that we keep our attention and our affection on the Lord, not our circumstances. He says, listen, these trials Come as needed, they are varied. And then he says, he lets us know that these trials aren't easy. Listen to what he says here. He says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In other words, when trials come, they weigh heavy on your heart. They weigh heavy on your heart. And you may say, well, Doug, well, you know, why would God do that to us? Why would God let trials come in our lives that weigh so heavy on our heart as if we couldn't handle them? Well, I think if you're asking the question, you probably already answered it, right? God allows trials to come in our heart to burden us so that we would realize we can't handle those burdens. We can't handle the magnitude of those trials. So what do we do with those trials? We turn them over to him, right? What do we do with those burdens? We turn them over to the Lord. 
See, God allows trials in our lives to refine us and to grow us spiritually, but God allows those trials in our life so that we feel the weight of them and that we would be more dependent upon him. But there's one more reason he lets trials in our lives, and this may be the most important. He says this, to test the genuineness of our faith. God allows trials in our lives to test the genuineness of our faith. That means this, that trials not only build our faith by refining us and growing us, trials not only build our faith, listen, trials reveal our faith. They don't just build it, they reveal it. They reveal the authenticity of our faith. They reveal the strength of our faith. And I think it's so important for us to know what Peter's trying to communicate is, listen, believers, I know you're struggling, but I want you to keep your eye on the prize. You have a living hope. Keep your affection. Keep your attention there. But while you're in this world, you're going to face trials. Yes, keep your eyes there, but you're going to face trials. God's allowing them to grow you, to refine you, but they also are a test of the genuineness of your faith. So I think the question that we all could ask ourselves is, how have the trials that we've gone through, how have those trials and what have they revealed about our faith? The trials we've gone to, what do they reveal about our faith? Do they reveal that our faith is, is strong, that it's rooted, that it's unshakable, or does it reveal that our faith is lacking, shallow, and easily rattled? I think that's a question we all have to ask ourselves. See, Peter here is wanting these early believers to keep their eyes here, but realize while they're in this world, they're going to face some trials of many kinds. But keep your eyes here. Now, let's just be honest for a moment. That's hard, isn't it? Right? That's hard. I mean, we can, we can get excited about it and go, yes, I'm going to keep my eyes here, even though trials come my way. But at the end of the day, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because when trial comes our way, we tend to take our focus off of this, off of the hope we have, and put it on the circumstances and trying to figure out how in the world are we going to figure this thing out? How in the world are we going to navigate this? It's hard. So Peter ends this section by telling them how they can live in that hope how they can live in a way where they keep their eyes off of their circumstances, off of their trials, off of the things that are going on in their life, and keep their eyes on the hope they have in Christ. He tells them how to live in hope. Look with me in verse 8. It says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. This phrase, love him, is in the president. It's in the, act, the present active indicative tense, which means this. You've loved him, you're loving him, so keep loving him. So how do we live in hope? First of all, we keep loving Jesus. I know that sounds so cliche. I know that sounds so simple, but that's exactly what Peter's telling them. Because the tense of this phrase, love him, he's saying, listen, you've already shown your love for him. You are currently loving him, so keep loving Jesus. When trials come your way, don't stop loving Jesus. When trials come your way, you need to dig in. You need to get rooted. You need to dig your feet in, and you need to keep worshiping him. You need to keep praising him. You need to keep rejoicing in him. Don't stop loving Jesus. 
How do we live in the hope? How do we keep our eyes off of our trials and put them on Christ? You keep loving Jesus. Then he says this, look at the next thing he says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you what? Believe in him. So how do we live in hope? We keep loving Jesus. Secondly, we keep trusting Jesus. This phrase, believe in him, also is in the present active indicative, which simply means you have trusted him, you are trusting him, so what? Keep trusting him. When trials come your way, don't start trusting yourself. Don't start looking to yourself. When trials come your way, keep trusting the Lord. Trust that he has a plan. Trust that he has a purpose. And trust that he will always keep his promises. So how do we live in hope? We keep loving Jesus. We keep trusting Jesus. And then there's one more thing he says at the very end of verse 8. He says this, Though you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In other words, how do we live in hope? We keep rejoicing in Jesus. Not rejoicing in our circumstances, but rejoicing in the hope that we have in him. To rejoice in the hope that we have in him. Because if the hope that we have should bring us a joy, a joy that is unexplainable, a joy that is unspeakable, a joy that words cannot completely express. He says, listen, I want you to keep your eyes here. But you're going to go through some junk. You're going to go through some trials. And I know it's going to be hard to keep your eyes there. So let me tell you how to do it. Let me tell you how to live in hope. You ready? Keep loving Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. And keep rejoicing in Jesus. And then he ends this this chapter with kind of the ultimate result. Look what he says here in verse 8 through 12. He says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is this, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring that what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And things you have now been announced to you, though those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which the angels long to look. So here's the result. You ready? If we are in this world, keep our eyes on Christ. While we go through trials, keep loving Jesus, keep trusting Jesus, and keep rejoicing in Jesus. One day we're going to look up and we're going to experience what Peter says. We're going to experience the completed salvation of our souls when we see him. A salvation that the Old Testament prophets prophesied for. A salvation that even the angels long and marvel at. Now think about this. These are encouraging words to these struggling believers about our hope, about our faith, and about what it means to live in that hope. And I hope these are encouraging to us that we have a hope in Jesus and that while we may go through trials on this world, in this world, triumph, ultimate triumph is still coming. 
But here's the reality for all of us. We live in trying times, don't we? We live in trying times. And I guess the question I want us to answer for everybody out there, everybody, right where you sat this morning, I want us all to answer these two questions. How have the trials of my life, how have they built my faith? How have the trials I've gone through, how have they built my faith? And secondly, I want you to answer this question. How have the trials I've gone through, what have they revealed about my faith? What have they revealed? Now, for those of you that are watching today that are followers of Jesus Christ, as you answer those questions and you think about them deeply about how trials have built your faith and what it's revealed about your faith, I'm going to ask you to make two commitments today. I'm going to ask you right where you sit, maybe in your pajamas, maybe on your couch, maybe in your office. I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to ask you to make two real commitments today. I know we're not in person, and I know you can't walk an aisle and bow down at an altar and just kind of surrender. I know that. But I'm going to ask you to make two real commitments today. The first commitment I'm going to ask you to make as a believer is this, is that when we commit to focus on the hope we have in Christ, when we commit to keep our eyes on the hope that we have when we see him again, we keep our focus there. Second thing I'm going to ask you to commit to is this, is that when we face moments of trials, that we would commit to live in hope, that we would commit to not live in fear, not live in panic, not live in chaos, but to live in such a way that we would continue to love, trust, and rejoice in Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you're watching this morning, hear me, I'm asking you, will you commit to those two things? Will you commit to focusing on the hope you have in Christ? And will you commit to live in that hope while you're on this earth? And if you'll do that this morning, I'm going to ask you something crazy. You ready? I'm going to ask you right now to grab your phone, grab your, your, your smart device, or grab your computer, and just simply type these words, I will. As the Facebook post is streaming right in front of you, would you just simply write these words, I will. If you're willing to make these two commitments about where your focus is going to be, and you're willing to make this commitment about living in this world, but living in hope, would you just simply type these two words, I will will. Will you just acknowledge your commitment today by typing that in? You may say, well, Doug, <clears throat> people are going to see my name. I know, isn't that awesome, right? Isn't that awesome? Because there's other believers that are watching that need to know there's others out there that are struggling. There's others out there that need that have their attention and their focus on the wrong thing. And so we're making a new commitment to the Lord. We're making a commitment when we go through trials, we're gonna live in that hope. I'm asking you right now, if you're following Jesus and you're willing to commit to those two things, would you just simply type in, I will, I will. And then if you're watching today and you, you say, Doug, you know what? You know what trials have revealed about my faith? I don't have any. I don't have faith in Christ. But what I desperately want is the hope you've talked about today. I want the hope of knowing that when I leave this world, I'm not going to spend an eternity apart from Christ. I'm going to spend eternity with Christ. But I'm going to tell you the only way to receive that hope is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you need to make that decision today, I'm just going to ask you, would you just pray something like this? Dear Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've done things, said things, thought things 
there's rebellion toward you. But I want you to know that I believe in all my heart. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and I believe that he rose again on the third day. And so today I surrender my life to you and ask you to come into my life and to forgive me my sins and to be the boss and the master of my life so that I might have the hope of heaven. And if you just prayed that, let me just be the first to welcome you into the family of God. The Bible says that the angels are rejoicing over the decision you just made. Man, we're excited for you. That wherever you find yourself today, the believer who's struggling or someone who's not sure about your faith in Christ, I'm gonna ask you to do one thing for me today. Would you just simply respond as the Lord leads you? Let's pray together. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, today that we are reminded that we have a living hope. That because of salvation, for those of us that are believers, because of salvation we have in Christ, we are to live this in this world with an anticipation of what's to come. That moment when we see Jesus and we get to spend forever with him. I thank you, Lord, that we have a living hope. But God, it's so easy to forget about that hope with all the trials we go through. So God, I pray that you remind us today, those trials, you allow them. You use those trials. But those trials not only build our faith, Lord, they reveal it. And God, while we're supposed to keep our eyes on you and the hope we have, we still go through trials in this world. And it's hard to keep our eyes where they belong. So God, I pray that we would be reminded today through 1 Peter how we can live in that hope. How we just need to continue to love you, trust you, and rejoice in you. God, I pray for believers today that they would make that simple commitment to keep their focus on the hope they have in you. That they would make that commitment that when trials come, they're committing to live in hope. God, that they would get on that smart device and just simply type in, I will. And then God, I pray for those who what trials have revealed to them is they didn't have faith. I thank you for those that maybe a moment ago surrendered their life to you. But I pray for those who are still on the fence. God, would you do a work in their life this week that might draw them closer to you so that they might respond. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. And we praise you that our hope is in Jesus. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. And amen and amen.